Islam's Inconvenient Facts by Paul Martin. This audiobook is a public domain gift by the author and may be freely copied and distributed in any format. Quotations are made in fair use in this not-for-profit book, produced by Paul Martin's Fine Films and Audiobooks, 2021. This book is divided into three sections. Chapter 1. Was Muhammad God's Prophet? Chapter 2. Is the Quran God's Word? And Chapter 3. Is the God of Islam the one true God? Introduction. There are many different contradictory competing sects of Islam all claiming to be the true Muslims. Sunnis, Shiites, Alawites, Druzes, Bektashis, the Nation of Islam and numerous Sufi sects, to name just a few. But what Muslims are united in is their belief that Muhammad was God's prophet and that the Quran is God's word. There are more than one and a half billion Muslims around the world who tell us with great confidence and assurance that Islam is the only true religion and the only way to get into heaven, and that if we reject Islam, we will burn in hell for eternity. If this is true, then Islam is of the utmost importance. If it's not true, then Islam is of no importance. Because of the emphasis and importance that they attach to the Islamic religion, it is vitally important then that we examine the life of Muhammad and Islam's holy book, the Quran, in a very critical and carefully thought out examination of the Islamic scriptures. Chapter 1 was Muhammad God's prophet. In 2007, there was the Sudanese teddy bear blasphemy case, in which a teddy bear was named Muhammad by a class of six-year-olds. Gillian Gibbons, who was an English teacher, a middle-aged woman in Sudan, was charged with insulting Islam, and she was put in jail awaiting trial and her penalty was going to be prison, a fine and 40 lashes. There was even 10,000 protesters, some waving machetes, demanding her death. After pressure from the British government, she was pardoned by the Sudanese president and secretly taken away to safety. This is just one of many examples of the extreme importance that Muslims attach to Muhammad. In countries like Pakistan, there is the death penalty for insulting Muhammad. So we have to determine if the Quran really is God's word, then we have to examine the character of Muhammad who claimed it was. And so... Islam is based on circular reasoning. Muslims say we follow Muhammad as God's prophet because the Quran says he was God's prophet. 
and then they say we follow the Quran as God's word because Muhammad said it was God's word. So it's circular reasoning. What we can learn about Muhammad is that he made false prophecies. In his last sermon, Muhammad said, no new religion will come after me. Yet the Sikh religion was started in 1526, the Mormons in 1830, and the Baha'is in 1863. These are some of just many religions that started centuries after the time of Muhammad. Muhammad also believed that the end of the world was coming in his own lifetime. In Bukhari, volume 2, number 167, it says the sun eclipsed and the prophet got up, being afraid that it might be the hour or the day of judgment. Or he thought it would happen in the lifetime of a little boy Muhammad knew. Sahih Muslim, number 2953. Thereupon Allah's messenger kept quiet for a while then looked at a young boy in his presence belonging to the tribe of Azd Shanua, and he said, if this boy lives, he would not grow very old till the last hour would come to you. Annas said that this young boy was of our age during those days. So he said it would happen within a few decades of his death. Was he a reliable man to give revelations? Bukhari, volume 7, number 660 says, Magic was working on Allah's apostle, so that he used to think he had had sexual relations with his wives, while actually had not. And Bukhari, volume 4, numbers 400 and 490 say that Muhammad was bewitched, and he imagined things happening that had not happened. Then there was also the Satanic Verses incident, in which Muhammad was pressured by the pagans to give honour to the pagan goddess daughters of Allah, Alat, Aluza and Manat. And he added a verse saying, these are the swans of heaven whose intercession is hoped for. He was later forced to revoke what he had said and claimed that he had been under the influence of Satan. And in Al-Tabari, chapter 6, verse 111, Muhammad said, I have fabricated things against God and have imputed to him words which he has not spoken. Muhammad also got many overly convenient revelations in the Quran that benefited himself personally. The Quran in chapter 3 verse 32 says, Obey Allah and his messenger. In Bukhari number 311, Aisha said, I feel that your Lord hastens in fulfilling your wishes and desires. In Quran chapter 33 verse 37, Muhammad wanted to marry the wife of his own adopted son, so Allah supposedly gave him a revelation to do this. 
In the Quran, in chapter 66, verse 1, Muhammad wanted to have sex with his female slave, so he claims God supposedly gave him a revelation to do this. In the Quran, in chapter 33, verse 51, Muhammad didn't want to treat his wives equally, so his God gave him a revelation that he didn't have to. And the Quran, in chapter 33, verse 50, Muhammad wanted more than four wives, so he got a convenient revelation that he was allowed more. Muhammad also had many interesting things about his characteristics. He was into cross-dressing in Mishkat al-Masabi, volume 2, book 26, chapter 38. Muhammad said, Do not annoy me regarding Aisha, for inspiration has not come to me when I was in any woman's garment but Aisha's. In Abu Dawud, volume 2, number 2150, says Muhammad allowed the Muslims to rape their captive women in front of their husbands. He got a revelation from the Quran to have sex with no married women except those your right hands possess. And that's from the Quran in chapter 4, verse 24. Muhammad was also against art. In Bukhari, volume 4, number 539, Muhammad said that angels will not enter a house that has dogs or pictures. And in Bukhari, volume 4, number 540, Muhammad said dogs were to be killed. Islam is also against poetry. In Sahih Muslim, number 2258, Muhammad said, better a belly full of pus than a belly full of poetry. Muhammad also banned chess. Sahih Muslim, number 5612. He who played chess is like one who dyed his hand with the flesh and blood of swine. Why would he be against chess? Because it has a queen who moves freely? Who knows? Islam is also against music. In Bukhari, volume 7, number 494, Muhammad said, Men who consider as permitted silk, wine, and all manner of music and musical instruments, Allah will destroy them during the night, and will let the mountain fall on them, and he will transform the rest of them into monkeys and pigs, and they will remain so until the day of resurrection. Muhammad also used to give his dirty bath water to his followers, and they would fight over it to drink and smear on their bodies for a magical blessing. And you can read about that in Bukhari, volume 1, numbers 187 to 188. In the defence of Muhammad, Muslims point out the fact that some non-Muslims have admired Muhammad, such as George Bernard Shaw, the playwright who lived from 1856 to 1950. But George Bernard Shaw was a bit of a provocateur who also 
admired Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini and Joseph Stalin. And he also admired Muhammad. So that would have to put him in the same category of Muhammad with those dictators. They also like to quote Thomas Carlyle, who said that Muhammad has been treated very badly by the West and that it's a shame to ourselves only. He said, the lies which well-meaning zeal has heaped round this man, meaning Muhammad, are a disgrace to ourselves only. But the same Thomas Carlyle trashed the Koran and described it as a very crudely written, incoherent book. And they also like to quote an author called Michael Hart, who wrote a, a book called The One Hundred, where he put a list of the most influential people in history, and this man ranked Muhammad at number one. And Ahmed Didat, a Muslim apologist, calls Michael Hart a Christian and a chess master. Evidently, Ahmed Didat didn't do much research because Michael Hart is a Jew and a white supremacist who thinks that Muhammad wrote the Quran. And Muslims don't believe Muhammad wrote the Quran. They believe it was the words of God himself. Other people like to quote Winston Churchill over a letter that his future sister-in-law wrote called Gwendoline Bertie in 1907, who said, Please don't become converted to Islam. I have noticed in your disposition a tendency to orientalise Pasha-like tendencies. I really have. Whatever fears she had of Winston Churchill becoming a Muslim were unfounded because, for starters, Winston Churchill was a staunch Zionist and a supporter of a Jewish state. And in his book The River Wars, 1899, Winston Churchill said, Individual Muslims may show splendid qualities, but the influence of the religion paralyses the social development of those who follow it. No stronger retrograde force exists in the world. So trying to appeal to authority to different people who have praised Islam doesn't really prove anything because an equal number of influential people, if not more, have spoken very badly of Islam. Voltaire, for example, in 1753 wrote a, a play called Fanaticism or Muhammad the Prophet, in which he looked at the fanaticism and self-serving manipulation of Muhammad. And Mark Twain also described Islam in very negative terms. Mark Twain wrote, That is a simple rule, and easy to remember. When I, a thoughtful and unblessed Presbyterian, examine the Koran, I know that beyond any question, every Mohammedan is insane, not in all things, but in religious matters. Chapter 2. Is the Koran God's Word? Muslims assure us that the Koran is God's holy, eternal word, preserved on a tablet in heaven. The Quran, chapter 85, verses 21 and 22 says, Surely this is a glorious Quran, 
inscribed on an imperishable tablet. And the Quran in chapter 15 verse 9 says, Verily, we, it is we who have sent down the Quran, and surely we will guard it from corruption. So the Quran clearly states that it has been perfectly preserved and protected from any corruption. The Quran also challenges anyone to copy the Quran, its style. It's called the Quran Challenge. The Quran in chapter 52, verses 33 to 34 says, Or do they say he forged it? No, they believe not. Let them produce a recitation like it if they are truthful. The question is who gets to decide whether a text has imitated the Quran or not. This is a non sequitur logical fallacy. It's also known as the Texas Sharp Shooter logical fallacy, where you shoot a bullet into a shed, then you paint a bullseye and a target around where the bullet went. The ability to write something unique does not prove it is the word of God. Shakespeare and Chaucer wrote unique literature. Secondly, the Quran has already been adequately imitated. Just two examples are the atheist Quran in 2015 done by an ex-Muslim, Saif Rahman, who recited an atheist poetry in the style of the Quran. And then there is the true Furkhan in 1999, translated by Anas Shorosh. Anas Shorosh was an evangelical Palestinian Christian, and he did a Christian imitation of the Quran that was written anonymously in 77 chapters, teaching Christian dogma. Secondly, the claim that the Quran has never been changed is not supported by the Quran because the Quran itself tells us that it actually has been changed. The Quran in chapter 2 verse 106 says, If we abrogate or change a verse or cause it to be forgotten, we will replace it by a better one or one similar. And in the Quran in chapter 16 verse 101 says, We will when we change one verse for another, God knows best what he reveals. They say, you are an imposter. Indeed, most of them have no knowledge. So we will have a look at the history of the Quran and its composition and see whether or not it was perfectly preserved. Sahih Muslim, this is from the Hadith, the Traditions of Muhammad. Volume 2, number 2286 says there was a missing surah or chapter of the Quran which talks about two valleys full of riches for the son of Adam who longed for a third valley but nothing would fill the stomach of the son of Adam but dust. And that story is found nowhere in the Quran. The earliest known version of one of the earliest known versions of the Quran is called the Christoph Luxemburg version. Uh, 
It's a Syro-Aramaic translation made in the first 150 years of Islamic history. And what is called huris, or women for sexual use in paradise, is actually translated as grapes rather than beautiful women. So after Muhammad died, parts of the Quran were written on bones, rocks, palm tree leaves or animal skins in Bukhari volume 6 number 509. The Caliph Uthman got the Quran manuscripts together and put them in book form. And this was done in 651 AD, 19 years after Muhammad's death. And that's in Bukhari, volume 4, number 709, and volume 6, numbers 507 to 510. And then we find Uthman tried destroying the conflicting versions of the Quran in volume 6, number 510. So there were already contradictory versions of the Quran when they first brought it together. And there were missing or changed verses when it was put together. Volume 4, numbers 57, 62, 69 and 299. And when certain people died, who were the only people who knew a certain chapter of the Quran, that chapter disappeared with them. In Bukhari, volume 6, number 509. In Sahih Muslim, number 2286, it says they used to recite a chapter of the Quran that was about the same length as Surah Barat, that's chapter 9, which makes up 3% of the Quran, but they had forgotten it. So they forgot an entire chapter that made up 3% of the Quran. They also forgot a chapter that resembled one of the surahs of Masabihit. And in Sunan Ibn Majah, number, number 1944, Aisha said, The verse of stoning and of breastfeeding an adult ten times was revealed, and the paper was with me under my pillow. When the messenger of Allah died, we were preoccupied with his death. And a tame sheep came and ate it. Now there is no Quranic verse on stoning for adultery. It's lost. But stoning adulterers to death is what Muhammad did. In Bukhari volume 2, number 413 and number... Volume 8, number 817. And in Bukhari, volume 6, number 527, it says, Ubay was the best of us in the recitation of the Quran, yet we leave some of what he recites. Ubay says, I have taken it from the mouth of Allah's messenger and will not leave it for anything whatever. So he was remembering it well, but other people were forgetting it and leaving it out. Ibn Abi Dawood in Kitab al-Masahif says, Umar was looking for a verse he vaguely remembered of the Quran. Then he found that the man who had any record of it 
had been killed in the Battle of Yamama, and that verse was lost. And in Bukhari, volume 4, number 69, it says they used to recite a Quranic verse that used to recite, but it was cancelled later on. Inform our people that we have met our Lord. He is pleased with us and he has made us pleased. So that verse, inform our people we have met our Lord, he is pleased with us and he has made us pleased, is lost. It's not in the Quran. And people might say, ah, but it's preserved here in the Hadith. Okay, but it shows that the Quran itself has not been preserved. And two years after Muhammad's death, the last two verses of chapter 9 of the Quran were missing. And there was only one person who remembered them. And that's in Bukhari, volume 6, number 511. So already people were starting to forget his revelations. And as mentioned earlier in this book, there was the satanic verses incident in which a verse was added to the Quran. Uh, the Quran in chapter 53 verses 19 and 20 says, Have you fought on Alat, Aluza and Manat? And that just ends there. But the rest of the verse was, They are the swans of heaven whose intercession is hoped for. But here's what the Quran in chapter 22 verse 52 says. It says, Never have we sent a prophet or apostle before you with whose wishes Satan did not tamper. But God abrogates the interjections of Satan and confirms his own revelation. So this verse from the Quran itself is saying that some parts of the Quran have been inspired by Satan. But it then assures us that we can still trust it because apparently Allah has removed those Satanic verses. But the question is, can we trust something if it's been tampered with by Satan? St. John of Damascus, the last of the church fathers of Christianity, he lived from 675 to 749, so a hundred years after the time of Muhammad. And he wrote of chapters in the Quran in his work on heresies, such as the cow, which is chapter 2, and the table, which is chapter 5 of the Quran. And he also spoke of a chapter called the camel of God. And this chapter no longer exists. There are numerous different versions of the Quran in existence. Today there are over 37 contradictory versions of the Quran. Arabic originally did not have vowels. When a vowel gets added to a word, it can greatly alter its meaning. As a result, there are 10 traditional different interpretations of the Quran. However, there are even more versions, and then there are different ways of it being transmitted and read in different parts of the Islamic world. For example, the word hal means situation. It's a squiggle like a C with a straight line on top of it. 
However, when you put one dot above Hal, it means empty or uncle on the mother's side. The Arabic word ya, when it has two dots below it, means they do. The Arabic word ta is the same except the two dots are above the squiggle rather than below it. And ta means you do. The Quran in chapter 44 verse 58 says, Verily we have made this Quran easy in the tongue in order that they may give heed. The Encyclopedia of the Quranic Readings, which is six volumes long, lists 10,243 variants from the contradictory manuscripts of the Quran. It's as if this God who wrote the Quran was as capable of preserving his word as a bunch of illiterate 7th century medieval people would be. Of doing so. Between the more than 30 contradictory versions of the Quran, there are 93,000 differences. The two most popular Qurans are the Wash Quran, which is used throughout northwest Africa, and the Hafs Quran, which is the most popular worldwide. But the Wash Quran and the Hafs Quran have 1,354 differences between them. One of the earliest manuscripts of the Quran that has been carbon dated as very early is the Sanar text. And the Sanar text in the Quran in chapter 9 verse 9 reads, They have exchanged the covenant of Allah and their oaths for a small price, and averted people from the way of Allah. Indeed, it was evil that they were doing. Whereas the standard text of the Hafs says, they have exchanged the signs of Allah, instead of the covenant of Allah, for a small price and averted people from his way. Indeed, it was evil what they were doing. We see that the standard text is shorter than the original earlier Sanar text, but the Sanar text in other places has shorter readings than the standard text of the Quran, and the Sanar text is fragments. So in some places the later versions of the Quran are longer, and in other places they sh- uh, are shorter, which proves that the words have been added or taken away. Now, there is no actual theological consequence for the difference, really, in the reading of chapter 9, verse 9, but it does destroy the notion that the Koran has been perfectly preserved on a tablet in heaven. It's been corrupted and changed, and this is the key to destroying Islam, is attacking the Koran. The character of Muhammad is usually dismissed by Muslims, but once you get into the nitty-gritty of the Quran, that's where it comes undone. There are other things in the Quran, such as spelling errors, and Saudi journalist Ahmad Hashem in January the 10th, 2020, uh, 
showed there were 2,500 errors of spelling and grammar in the Quran, and that's from the Middle East Media Research Institute, August the 18th, 2020. And a book that's recommended is called Linguistic Errors in the Quran by Sami al-Deeb. There is also the Art, which are mysterious letters at the start of 29 different chapters of the Quran. They're these disjointed letters. And the original significance of these letters is completely unknown. There was a scholar called Fakhr al-Din al-Razi who lived from 1150 to 1210 AD. And he noted 20 different opinions on what they represented. So he lived centuries after the time of Muhammad and centuries before our time. And even he didn't have an idea. He just knew there were 20 different theories floating around of what it meant. So we've established now that the Quran was not perfectly preserved. It's been corrupted and changed with thousands of variant readings. Now we're going to look at mistakes in the Quran. And the best example would be contradictions. Was humanity created from blood? Chapter 96, verse 2. Or was it from clay? Chapter 15, verse 26. Or was it from dust? Chapter 3, verse 59. Or was it from nothing? Chapter 19, verse 67. Or was it from a sperm drop? Chapter 16, verse 4. Who was the first Muslim? The Quran in chapter 39, verse 12 says that Muhammad was the first Muslim. The Quran in chapter 7, verse 143, says that Moses was the first Muslim. And chapter 2, verse 132, tells us that Abraham was the first Muslim. Do God's decrees ever change? The Quran in chapter 6, verse 34, and verse 115, tell us no. God's decrees do not change. But in chapter 2, verse 106, and chapter 16, verse 101, we find that they do change, and that uh, God does, in fact, change his Quran. Did Pharaoh drown after the Exodus? Yes, says the Quran in chapter 17, verses 101 and 103. But chapter 10, verses 90 to 92, says, No, he repented and was forgiven. How long did God create the heavens and the earth in? The Quran in chapter 10, verse 3, says, Six days. The Quran in chapter 41, verses 9 to 12, says, Eight days. What is a day like to God? The Quran in chapter 22, verse 47, says a day to God is like a thousand years. The Quran in chapter 70, verse 4, says a day to God is like 50,000 years. There's 49,000 errors. What did God create first, heaven or earth? 
The Quran in chapter 2 verse 29 says that God created the earth, then the heavens. The Quran in chapter 79 verses 27 to 30 says God created the heavens, then earth. And then we have the inheritance laws in Islam, in which certain percentages are to be given to people after they die. In chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and in chapter 4, verse 176. So, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 and 176 say that if a man dies and leaves behind his wife, two daughters and parents, the wife gets 12.5%, the two daughters get 66.7%, the father gets 16.7%, and the mother gets 16.7%. The problem is, if you add up these percentages, they go up to more than 100%. They go up to 112.5%. So the Sunnis and the Shiites have to actually reduce the percentage of each person, even though that's going against what the Quran says. And if... A woman dies and leaves behind her husband and two sisters. The husband gets 50% according to the Quran. That's half. And the two sisters get a third each, which is 66.7%. What's 50 plus 66.7? It adds up to 116.7%. So it's more than 100%. And the Shiite solution is to give the husband 50% and the two sisters 25% each instead of 33%. The Sunnis give the husband 42.9% and the two sisters 57.1%. But they are going against what the Quran says. It's as if this God who wrote the Quran knew as much about mathematics and internal contradictions as an illiterate 7th century Arab would know. Then there are scientific errors in the Quran. The sun sets in a pond of black mud, chapter 18 verse 86, and four verses later in chapter 18 verse 90, the sun rises on a scorched people. The sun runs to a resting place, chapter 36, verse 38. And the Quran in chapter 37, verses 6 to 8, and chapter 67, verse 5, says that stars are missiles that drive away demons. And we're told that the sky is hard in chapter 2, verse 22. And the sky will be broken to pieces, chapter 78, verse 19. The Quran in chapter 52, verse 44 says, And if they were to see a piece of the heaven falling down, they would say, Clouds gathered in heaps. And the Quran says that the earth is spread out like a carpet. Chapter 15, verse 19 says, And the earth we have spread out like a carpet. 
set there on mountains, firm and immovable. And chapter 78 verses 6 to 7 says, The earth is an expanse, with the mountains as pegs. And N.J. Darwood's translation, page 416, says, Spread out like a bed. It's as if this God who wrote the Quran knew as much about science as an illiterate 7th century Arab would know. Then there are historical errors. In chapter 66, verse 12, we're told that Mary was the daughter of Imran and the sister of Aaron, in Quran chapter 19, verse 28, which would make Jesus the nephew of Moses and Aaron, even though they lived more than a thousand years apart. It also talks about King David, and King David lived about 1,000 years before the time of Christ. And the Quran in chapter 34, verses 10 and 11 says they had coats of chainmail armour. Chainmail was invented 500 years after David's time by the Celts in Eastern Europe. In the Quran in chapter 40, verses 36 to 37, it talks about the Pharaoh in Moses' time, which would be more than 1,200 years before the time of Christ. And it says he got Haman to build the Tower of Babel. Now, Haman lived about 400 years before the time of Christ. And the Tower of Babel was built centuries, possibly thousands of years before Pharaoh and Haman ever existed. The Quran in chapter 12 verse 41 and chapter 26 verse 49 claims that they had crucifixion in ancient Egypt. And this is nonsense. It was the Romans many centuries later who brought in crucifixion. It also has errors about the Trinity doctrine. Uh, the Quran in chapter 5, verse 116, says that the Trinity is God, Jesus and Mary, and that God is one of three, the Quran chapter 5, verse 73, and that Jews think Ezra is the son of God, the Quran chapter 9, verse 30. It's as if this God who wrote the Quran knew as much about the Bible and ancient history as an illiterate 7th century Arab would know. There are other pagan sources from Islam, such as the Kaaba, which is never mentioned in the Bible, but it was a pagan shrine with 360 idols. There are other absurdities in the Quran. There's a childish hatred of a man called Abu Lahab in chapter 111. It says, May the hands of Abu Lahab perish. Nothing shall his wealth and gains avail him. He shall be burnt in a flaming fire, and his wife laden with firewood shall have a rope of fibre around her neck. And Abu Lahab was Muhammad's uncle and a staunch opponent of him. Uh, the Quran in chapter 108 verse 3 says, He that hates you shall remain childless. Well, that's an interesting test because millions of people detest Islam and they have children. 
And the Quran in chapter 18 verses 8 to 26 tells the story of the sleepers in the cave and it doesn't read like the words of an eternal all-knowing God but a human talking about God and how little they know. And it seems to indicate that these sleepers in the cave, we can't know how long they were sleeping for. So chapter 18 verse 26 says, Allah knows best how long they stayed. With him is the knowledge of the unseen of the heavens and the earth. It's written as if it was written by someone who didn't know, rather than the all-knowing God that the Quran claims to have been written by. And then we also find double predestination taught in the Quran. In chapter 57, verse 23, it says, Every misfortune that befalls the earth or your own persons is ordained before we bring it into being. In chapter 87, verses 2 and 3, says that God has ordained all things. And if that's the case, then it makes their God the author of all sin and evil and child abuse and murder and terrorism and apostasy. It even means if someone burns a copy of the Quran that it was their God who predestined them to do that. And chapter 61 verse 4 of the Quran says, And when they went astray, God led their very hearts astray. But this is also contradicted by the Quran in chapter 10, verse 43, that says, Indeed, in no way does God wrong mankind, but men wrong themselves. We also find an inconsistent speaker in the Quran. The Quran in chapter 70, verse 40, says, I, singular notice, I swear by the Lord, third person now, I swear by the Lord of the East and of the West that we, plural, have the power to replace them. Who on earth is speaking here? And we find a similar thing in the Quran, chapter 6, verse 153, which says, And verily, this is my straight path, so follow it, and follow not other paths, for they will separate you from his path. This he has ordained. So first it says my, then it says his path. Who on earth is speaking here? And then we find other disturbing factors such as pedophilia given in the divorce laws in the Quran in chapter 65 verses 4 and 5 says, if you are in doubt concerning those of your wives who have ceased menstruating, know that their waiting period shall be three months. The same shall apply to those who have not yet menstruated. And N.J. Darwood's footnote reads, on account of their young age, child marriages were common. And this is referring to prepubescent girls being divorced from their husbands. And in the old historic commentaries of the Quran in chapter 65 verses 4 and 5, this means that they had had sex. Ibn Kathir, the commentator, understood this. Al-Tabari also said this meant that they had had 
sex with them. In Ibn Ishaq's Life of Muhammad, it says, The apostles saw her, Umul Fatal, when she was a baby crawling before him, and said, If she grows up and I am still alive, I will marry her. But he died before she grew up. And in the Quran, in chapter 18, verses 60 to 80, it tells the story of a man who murdered an innocent child. He was an associate of Moses, and he killed this innocent child. But he explained to Moses that he killed the child because he might have led his parents, who were true believers, astray, and that it was God's will to give them a righteous son to replace him. So God ordained for this man to murder a child because he might have led his parents astray. Well, isn't this God supposed to be all-knowing? Muslims also claim that the Quran is full of scientific miracles. For example, the Quran in chapter 34 verse 3 says, Not an atom's weight in the heavens or the earth escapes him. This is from the Arabic word dara. It's not referring to chemical atoms that scientists know about. It's referring to a minuscule object with insignificant weight. And the ancient Greeks talked about atoms, it wasn't because ancient people knew about subatomic particles. It was rather just a word used to refer to very small objects of little weight. And then in the Quran, chapter 2, verse 29, and chapter 41, verses 11 and 12, says there are seven heavens. And Muslims use this to try and claim that there are seven layers in, outside the Earth's atmosphere. But this is not what it's referring to. In any case, there are not seven layers of the Earth's atmosphere. There are five. And from lowest to highest are the troposphere, the stratosphere, the mesosphere, the thermosphere, and the exosphere. In any case, we'd be in big trouble if that was the case, because the Quran in chapter 67 verse 5 says, We have beautified the lowest heaven with the stars. So the Quran is saying that there are stars inside the Earth's atmosphere. And the Quran in chapter 41 verse 12 says the same thing. We adorned the lower heaven with stars. So clearly it is not talking about that. Uh, some of the other so-called miracles are knowledge that was already well known in the world of the time. Uh, an example is the Quran in chapter 57 verse 25 says, We sent down iron with its great inherent strength and its many benefits for mankind. And they ask, how did Muhammad know that iron came from meteorites in outer space? And the answer is that this was well known by ancient people in Egypt in 1295 BC or 1900 years before Muhammad's time there were hieroglyphics that talk about this and Egyptian pagans called iron the metal from heaven 
So if we're going to say Muhammad was God's prophet, then we also have to say that the pagan ancient Egyptians were God's prophets by that same logic. Another example is the claim that the Quran makes in chapter 55 verses 19 and 20 and chapter 25 verse 53 claims that salt water and fresh water don't mix but they actually do mix in what's called estuaries and the Quran in chapter 21 verse 33 says it is he who created the night and day the sun and the moon each floating in its orbit and orbit means rounded course and this is not a scientific miracle this is actually saying that the sun moves around the earth well this is geocentrism a pseudoscience so it's not teaching uh, true science at all chapter three is the god of islam the one true God. First we've looked at Muhammad's dubious claims to prophethood. Then we looked at the Quran, its text itself, and how it has not been well preserved and that it's riddled with contradictions and scientific errors. And then we have to look at the character of the God of Islam and ask, is he the true God from what we can see? Muhammad's command to kill dogs in Bukhari, volume 4, number 539, does not reflect the God who created dogs. It reflects a cruel psychiatric hatred for animals. The command to chop the hand off a thief in the Quran in chapter 5, verse 38, does not reflect a just God or the God who created the hand. It reflects Muhammad, who was a materialistic merchant. The command to completely cover up females does not reflect the God who created human beings in his image. It reflects an erratic behaviour and mental illness. It reflects only the male point of view. And we see Ricketts disease and the lack of vitamin D greatly affects Muslim women who wear burqas or veils or head coverings. And science, in any case, shows that men and women have equal IQs, equal intelligence. Yet the Quran in chapter 4, verse 34 says, Men have authority over women because God has made one superior to the other. So we see the creation of women is not reflected in the Islamic religion. Muhammad's command and the practice of Muslims to say, peace be upon him, every time they mention the name of a mortal sinner like Muhammad, is not only obsessive compulsive disorder, but it's a gross example of worshipping Muhammad, despite their claim that they don't worship him. And in any case, what good does it do to say, peace be upon him every time you mention Muhammad's name? If he's in paradise, 
then he is at peace and it's not necessary to say that. And if Muhammad is in hell, and that's where I believe he is, if Muhammad is in hell, then saying peace be upon him is not going to do anything for him. We also find the grammatical inconsistencies of the Quran in chapter 70 verse 40, a God that speaks in first person to third person or singular or plural. It doesn't make any sense, especially in a same verse. It does not reflect the coherent words of a divine being but rather the forgetful inconsistencies of semi-literate 7th century tribal people. Another is the issue on hand-cutting is the injustice of it all. A person that has their right hand cut off in the Arab world, their life is forever ruined. Every waking moment of their life is made more difficult by having only one hand and to do even the simplest tasks can take more than twice as long and a person with their hand missing is immediately ostracized and judged immediately no matter how long ago they committed their theft they are automatically judged and ostracized and regarded badly and they're discriminated against for jobs it makes their life hellish whereas the penalty for committing fornication is a hundred lashes if a man commits fornication he can get the hundred lashes but then he can put a shirt on and hide the punishment whereas a person with a right hand missing has a much harder time trying to hide that so the person that commits theft suffers a great deal more than the person who commits fornication. And I explained this to a Muslim friend of mine, and I said to him, what would make your blood boil more? What would make you angrier? A hungry man who steals $100 from your wallet, or a man who sleeps with your daughter? And he kind of hung his head down and he nodded, acknowledging that a man that slept with his daughter would make him far angrier. And he said, if a man stole $100 from my wallet because he needed, he said, I'd probably give it to him. And he admitted that that was a huge problem, but that's the so-called eternal decrees of Allah. It does not reflect a just God or a loving God. And out of the 99 names that Muslims have for their God, their God is never called love or father. And those are two characteristics of God in the Bible. The Quran encourages suicide to non-Muslims. The Quran in chapter 22 verse 15 says, If anyone thinks that God will not give victory to his apostle in this world and the world to come, let him tie a rope to the ceiling of his house and hang himself. Then let him ponder if his cunning has done away with that which has enraged him. But in the Bible, God has a very different characteristic, and that is love. The love of a father who wants to bring back 
his wayward children into a relationship with him. And there was a little Christian girl during the refugee crisis caused by the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq. And a Muslim cleric approached this little Christian girl. He wanted to convert her to Islam. And she said to the cleric, I would be happy to convert to Islam if you could show me just one verse in the Quran which shows that God loves the non-Muslims and God wants to have a relationship with them. Well, that cleric walked away because he couldn't give her any such verse. In the Bible, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God commends his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for listening to this audiobook. If you want to do further research, I will now give a list of books and videos that are highly recommended for viewing. First of all, I've done my own podcasts on Islam that can be found at Paul Martin's Catholic Podcast on Anchor, as well as on YouTube at Paul Martin's Fine Films. These are the books for serious research. The Noble Quran, translated by Drs. Muhammad Al-Halali and Muhammad Musan Khan, and that's published by the King Fahd Complex. And it's a very good translation of the Quran because they don't try to sugarcoat anything. It's published by Wahhabi extremists. The next one is the Quran, translated by N.J. Dawood and published by Penguin Classics. N.J. Dawood is a Christian Arab who does a masterful job of translating the Quran. The next is a book called The Islamic Invasion by Robert Morey. It's a 1992 book and it's a very neat summary of the Quran and the Hadith. The next is the Hadith of Sahih Bukhari and the Hadith of Sahih Muslim. Those are the two most popular traditions of things Muhammad said and did. The next is the Encyclopedia of Quranic Readings, which shows the variance in the Quran and how it has not been perfectly preserved. Then there is Robert Spencer's books, in particular, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam and the Crusades, a 2005 book, and The Truth About Muhammad, a 2006 book. Then there is Princess by Jean Sasson. It's a 1994 book about the true life story of a Saudi Arabian princess and the horrors of growing up in that extremist environment. And then by P. Newton and M. Rafiqul Haq, the 1993 book, Allah Is He God, which looks at the injustice of hand amputation of, of theft 
and the injustice and treatment of women in Islam. Now for viewing, there are three great videos, among many others, but these three great videos stand out. There's the debate between Josh McDowell versus Ahmed Didart. It's a 1981 debate in South Africa, and it's available on YouTube. The next is Why We Are Afraid, a 1,400-year-old secret by Bill Warner. And that goes for 45 minutes. It's on YouTube. And it's a lecture about the sheer horrors of the first centuries of Islam with their jihad and how the Crusades were not aggression, but they were a long overdue reaction to Islamic aggression. And the last is a video called The Sacred City. Is Mecca really the birthplace of Islam? And that goes for 85 minutes. And that looks at the archaeological evidence, which is very compelling to prove that Muhammad never lived in Mecca. It was actually Petra. And during the civil wars between Muslims, the Kaaba was destroyed and the Black Rock was taken south and established in Mecca. And the very earliest mosques in existence all had their Qibla pointing to Petra, not Mecca. Thank you for listening and enjoy your research.